new people come to my organization all the time and they're like, oh my God, you realize the risk you're taking by sharing this information. My answer to them is, do you realize the risk I'm taking if I don't? Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome everyone to the Ed Epley Experience, your opportunity to hear from other business owners, executives, and successful operators of sustainable and profitable businesses, their ideas that can help you do the same. We're doing a podcast today, which is the first of several that we will do on building a high performance culture. You know, I'm a fan of creating cultures that are aligned with and support your business model and your strategy. So I could think of nobody better than somebody who's actually been with us before, Scott McComb, who is the CEO of Heartland Bank, to share his ideas with us. So Scott, once again, welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. Ed, it's great to be here as always. Thanks very much for letting me join you again on the program. Yeah, I know we're going to run out of time too quickly because you're going to have great stuff for our audience. But I want to get started by looking back to when you first became aware that culture was important to the success of a business. If you can recall when that was as best you can, can you share when, where, how that became something that was on your radar? Yeah, and I'd say that uh, you know when I first started my first business, I think when I was probably about six or seven years into that experience, I realized that you know you're only as good as your people. You're only as good as the attitude of your people. And the way to do that is to truly have a trusting relationship and a healthy culture. Of course, my previous company only had seven employees in the one company and five or six in another and two in another. So I had three companies going. So I didn't really have, it wasn't too hard to create good culture in a small business, you know, but when I got into banking and started to have, you know, 40, 50, 70, now 300 people, it becomes a little bit of a challenge. It's something you have to work at. When you first became aware of the importance of culture, was it even called culture or did you refer to it as teamwork? I'm curious about, was it even going by the moniker culture for you? It was not going by the moniker culture. It was more about teamwork and collaboration, camaraderie, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. It was more feel good, rah-rah stuff. It wasn't as scientific as it is today, but of course we were in a much simpler time than yeah. we are today. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that's a little bit of background of when you became aware of the importance of it. Now, for those of you that are listening that aren't aware, Heartland Bank was the brainchild of Scott's dad, Tiny McComb. And I think of him as a larger than life personality, somebody who he cast a, you know what, I probably would say it. he always hit or boxed above his weight class. You know, he, he had right. this capacity to do extraordinary things that most people would not either have attempted or if they had, they wouldn't have necessarily been as successful as your dad was. So what was his attitude about culture? Again, maybe he didn't call it culture, but I'm just curious about what you learned from him about that. You know, he was a uh, sensitive guy, a very benevolent person, did a lot of nonprofit work, really loved that. However, he surrounded himself with people that were mediocre performers, I'll have to say. So when I joined him in the bank, he really needed a lot of help. And he, he was a great banker. No one would know this from the outside of the walls of Heartland, right? But on the inside, 
at the time, we had a group of folks that were kind of yes men, you know, and there was a lot happening behind the scenes that, you know, he didn't see. When I joined the bank in the guts of the organization, I got to see it all. And I could see that in the boardroom and in committee meetings and things of that nature, the culture seemed to be very healthy. But underneath, it really wasn't because uh, people were kind of just saying what Tiny wanted to hear when they were in front of him. And then they would do something else, you know, just shortly after. So it was a very unhealthy culture based on the fact that we weren't really high performing back in the early days of the bank. So how hard was it for you to have that conversation with your dad about the reality that you found when you joined the bank? It was a tough one. I mean, I had to walk in his office and shut the door and say, hey, look, I think we need to fire this guy, you know, and or fire these people. And he would ask why. And I would give him the reasoning and he just couldn't believe it. He'd be like, oh, my gosh, you know, because he was so trusting of everyone. He was such a nice guy. You know, he would rip you up and down, like dress you down in front of everybody, but he would never fire anybody. Okay. So I kind of grew up with that and I am not that way. So I pledged to myself, I'm not going to do that if I'm going to have an issue with somebody. First of all, I'm not going to scream at them. I don't need to do that. I'm not going to raise my voice. We're going to go through the process. And if, you know, I talk to them once about an issue, that's great. If I have to talk to them again, I'm going to tell them this is the last time I'm going to talk to them about the issue. And then I'm probably uh, the third time I'm already on to plan B. Right. So that's kind of how we operate now in the, in the banking environment. It's been very healthy. So was there a model that you followed to create the culture? Because I, my instincts are, and although I don't, I'm not one of your clients, but I've been around the bank enough to, and, and know, know enough people who are clients to, to, to tell you that the feeling that most people that I have been around who do business with Heartland feel like it's a, a bunch of great people who are really united about trying to do the right thing and on the same page. Is, is that accurate in your opinion? It is very much so. Um, but that, that didn't come by accident, you know. So when I got to the bank, we were a mediocre performer. We had the yes people there. Um, we, it was a lot of uh, why are you here to upset the apple cart? So here I am, this young guy that didn't have a college education, entrepreneur turned loose inside of a bank. And, uh, and I created I was very disruptive. Let's put it that way. And so I, I saw the way that we were you know, in banking at that time. Uh, you know, you needed to go, people, customers would walk in the bank to apply for a loan. Right. They need right. a loan, right? And the world has definitely changed right, right. now. Anybody can go anywhere and get a loan in a couple of minutes and, and, and bankers have to chase the customers, you know, and right. keep them happy. That was not what it was back 22 years ago. So uh, I actually came up with a model uh, from uh, a guy named Jack Hubbard of St. Myron Hubbard. I was sitting on a, a webinar one day or a, 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 a at that time, it was a conference call with, with printed materials, you know. Right. We just barely had the internet. And, and, and I adopted a model that we use today. It's called the performance culture model. And so instead of a sales culture, we started a performance culture model. And that and let me just explain, if we have time, that what the, what the Please. performance culture model is. So the bank or the performance culture, think of a bank where you've got a triangle on top, yep. three pillars supporting the triangle, and then a foundation under those pillars, yep. right? Yep. So if you got that in your mind, the performance culture is supported by three equally important pillars, people, processes, and technology. Okay. And those three pillars are on a firm foundation of accountability. Okay. And we've taken that model every time uh, since 2002. Uh, so that's been 20 years now. We've used that model and built on that model uh, to uh, to continue to be better every day uh, and, and bettering our culture. And there's a lot of other things we do to enhance the culture as well. 
Well, having a model, having a roadmap, having a uh, framework, I think is pretty important for an organization to be able to stay consistent at the messaging and what you try to do and how you communicate. Because as as I'm sure you've experienced, you can't talk about this one time and expect it to to happen. You can't expect it to at one get in, implemented and secondly stick. I, I I guess I'm curious. First of all, do you agree that you know you have to keep working at it? And secondly, how much of your time is spent on culture in the business? Oh, geez. Well, I am the culture officer. I mean, we don't actually have a stated uh, position like that. But I'll tell you, we work at it all the time. Um, we have uh, all kinds of different things that revolve around our culture. Um, um, from I guess the in the the smaller things we have is all employee meetings. So we have all employee meetings on a quarterly basis where we share the financials with the of the company and the strategies with the company and the strategic plan of the company, all that. Reiterate that over and over and over again. Uh, to our people. And so they're in the know, you know, so they don't feel like they're in the dark. They can feel like they're part of the process. And and again, that helps people be less defensive on why are we doing this? Why am I accepting change? Why should I accept change? Right. And, and, that, and those, those are debates, uh, you know, usually the battles inside the bank, you know, about uh, uh, about why we're doing one thing or another. But we, we do those. We have family events where we, nothing about business, it's just family. So we, we're going to play in the field with our kids and cook out and eat hot dogs and hamburgers and sip on a cold drink uh, together and, 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 and trust each other uh, with fellowship. That's another thing that we do. And then the third thing we do is we, we back each other up. So when our, one of our people gets sick, for instance, uh, we are there for them. If they, uh, I had an instance just the other day where one of my associates is having some medical problems and, uh, and uh, she really got, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, thumbed at by the hospital. They they had a, a real uh, a real boofoo where they canceled her appointment. And everything else. So this guy doesn't know what's wrong with her and such and so forth. But anyway, um, I have a relationship with the hospital, so I called the ho- I called the the president of the hospital and said, "Hey, this is what happened to my employee. This is a key one of my people. I need you to help her out." And next thing you know, you know, she's immediately on rescheduled. She's got the best people in there. They're on it, you know, and and taking care of her. Well. That kind of activity from the higher ups in your organization, you know, taking care of your people goes miles. Oh, yeah. And miles and miles. And, and but you have to do that on a consistent basis, caring for your folks and fighting for them. You fight for them. They're going to fight for you. Yeah, I, I'm I'm I've seen it happen and, and know that that is absolutely true. If you want loyalty, you have to give loyalty from uh, to your people. Right. Yeah, one of the other things, uh, Ed, that we do, uh, that's we've done this now for 10 years. We had our all-employee meeting last night, as a matter of fact. Great. And uh, we had a faucet center, and we had a live feed down to our folks in northern Kentucky uh, with a little bank we bought down there in the greater Cincinnati market. Um, we have a all-associate uh, survey, and the all-associate survey is done every year. It's done, usually done in late February or early March. And uh, and we ask very, very revealing questions and let anybody uh, answer in, you know, an essay form uh, what they'd like. So there's like 75 questions all about trust of senior management, about how our benefits are. Are they paid fairly? Right. Are we, do, how's our technology? Do you think do you understand the strategic plan? All these things. And then there's an essay uh, portion of that as well. And each section that says anything else you want to tell us. Well, we, we not only do we do that survey and we share the results, we give every single answer 
to every single associate. And so there's no hiding. There's no hiding. The management team cannot hide behind the survey results and feed the, you know, feed it back to them, you know, after they, you know, after they parade into what they want it to look like. We don't do that. And, and that builds trust as well. Okay. So uh, I have new people come to my organization all the time and they cannot believe that we are that transparent. They're like, oh my God, do you realize the risk you're taking by sharing this information to the masses? And I, and my, my answer to them is, do you realize the risk I'm taking if I don't? Yeah, there you go. That's exactly right. Um, I love that. I, I love that <laughs> response to that question. Um, I'm I guess I hadn't thought about it before today because I knew you did the acquisition in Northern Kentucky, but that's a new, that's a new aspect of culture for you that you've not really had to address before where you did an acquisition. Now you've done this acquisition and you have these, what, three locations down there in Northern Kentucky? Yes, sir. Yeah. And so now you're trying to integrate there in their previous culture. You're trying to integrate that into Hartman's culture. So how is that going? What, what, what lessons have you learned about that? Well, we learned an enormous amount. Uh, you know, first of all, I, I think we we learned all the different mistakes we made. Mm-hmm. Now we're, we're two and a half years into that, right? And I and I have to say something I'm not real proud of is we we have about ten percent of the associates on that team that were there when we bought the bank. And what we found though is that you know, of course, we gave all those folks a chance, but we are a high performing organization where 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 it's a it's an adventure, not a job. And so we expect people to work at a very high level. And uh, we, the organization that we purchased was kind of set in its ways. They were kind of a one-trick pony, really uh, focused on mortgage lending. They were experts at mortgage lending. But whenever we decided to put in commercial and, and selling checking accounts and home equity lines of credit and, and credit cards and all these other uh, financial instruments, and, and, and uh, that just wasn't for everybody. And then the clip that we run, it uh, wasn't for everybody. So some folks, you know, it's a it's a job, not an adventure. And those folks don't really last very long in our in our space because it is an adventure, not a job. Yeah. And uh, it's a, there's a big difference between the two. Yeah. And, and by the way, uh, a comment that I use quite frequently with clients is that your culture should be toxic to somebody who shouldn't be there. That's correct. And I, I and I think that's really what you're trying to do is make your culture strong enough that somebody will opt out, so you don't you don't have to go through the problem. Well, here's, well, here, here's here's something that you that's going to shock some of the listeners. Okay, I I t- this is how I say it inside the bank. We're going to find the internal terrorists and we're going to fire fire them. Yeah. Okay, so they're internal terrorists. These are people that are standing around the water cooler gossiping about this or that, stirring up crap. They're walking in your office, shutting the door and wanting to talk about somebody. Cultures don't need that. You know, right. and everybody needs to be uh, comfortable enough to open the door, work in a wide open environment, share exactly what they're doing and how they're feeling. And, uh, and, and the rules are that that's OK. Right. And that everybody is allowed to have their own opinion. And, uh, and, and, and uh, we just have to trust in the fact that, uh, uh, that everyone is looking out for everyone else's best interest, you know, but that's a unspoken rule uh, at the bank that, you know, look, if you're, if you're a troublemaker, you, your days are numbered, you know, you better get on board or just, you know, get off. Better find someplace else where you can be happy and not have to be, have, have that kind of behavior or attitude. That's correct. Um, I know this is probably a sticky wicket as they refer to, to difficult topics because 
there's what you probably legally can do. But but I'm curious about do you, when you're doing business to business uh, transactions where you've got a business that wants to do business with you. And let's say it's a loan. Do you pay it all to attention to the culture of that company? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, credit is all about the, you know, in banking is about the five C's of credit, okay? And uh, those five C's are character, collateral, capacity, conditions, uh, and, uh, geez, what is the fifth C? <laughs> it might be character. But I tell you, you know, character really matters. Um, because, you know, frankly, if you have quality characters, that means that they're, if they have a problem, for instance, they're going to tell you the truth. Um, if they have a strong culture, that means that when times get tough, people don't leave. They, they strap, they pull their boots up and they say, okay, we're not, this isn't going to sink us. We're going to do something different. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, the culture totally matters, uh, when we're looking at that. Um, now, it all uh, loan officers uh, that we have actually put a lot of time and effort. That's like a whole paragraph in every loan write up we do. Really? They, they, oh yeah. They tell us all about the company, you know, who owned the company. Uh, if they if the employees own the company, who has skin in the game. Um, if they're the you know, second, third, fourth generation, um, all those things matter uh, when we're trying to, to uh, see if we can be a good partner to a business. So if uh, I wasn't planning on going down this path, but you're leading me there, so I'm just going to I'm just going to follow it. Um, I get the impression then that if I'm doing business with a, a large uh, multinational bank like a, a Bank of America or Chase, that the, the culture component, the character component is probably not a, as much a part of their decision uh, about whether they're going to do business with you or not. They're going to look at the, basically the numbers and that's going to drive more of their decision making. Whereas with a Heartland, a community bank, that's not the case. Am I right about that? Yeah, you're exactly right. No, that's the fifth C is character. And so I tell you, you're exactly right. The people that make decisions in big banks don't even have a window. Okay, they sit in cubicles and wherever they're at, they might even be working remotely now. Right. They've never met the customer. They've never seen the factory or the business. They, you know, they they are the ones that are looking at it uh, as far as a average portfolio, you know, performance based on their other customers. So where does this fit in the in, in where everybody right. else is, you know? Right. Right. And then and big banks, frankly, they they manage their their uh, balance sheets by. Uh, uh, you know, by portfolios of customers. So let's say they want to get out of construction. They're getting out of construction and it doesn't matter whether you paid as agreed or not They're They want you out, you know, yeah. and that's just the way it is. Yeah. It's a, it's a basically a risk of port uh, across their portfolio that they really want. Isn't it? To, uh, that is, it's yeah, a, it, they, they can't possibly know all their customers. Yeah. You know, they're so large that it's uh, personal and they, they just can't, they just can't operate that way. Community banks are much different. You know, I, I spend most of my time working with customers that are uh, either in really great prosperity and they're trying to figure out how they control the prosperity or they're on rough times and they need to find out how to readjust their balance sheet or reinvent their company uh, for survival for the future. Every CEO I've known or every owner of a business I've known has had uh, what I would call indicators of how they feel the culture of their company has been behaving. It might be an individual. They'll they'll judge whether or not things are going well based upon how she or he acts. Uh, sometimes it will be external. It'll be a, a customer or certain customers are the best indicators about, you know, how the company is performing from a cultural standpoint. Do you have 
do you have such a, a, a an informal way of judging whether or not your culture is on the rails or off? Oh, well, it, well, it's formal and informal, I guess. Uh, we have a couple of different mechanisms. One, we have a, a process called straight to the top, which is a um, an online and, and uh, we also have an in-person form uh, that if somebody wants to send a comment directly to my desk, put it under my nose, they fill that out and it gets to me immediately. And I usually respond to those emails, uh, if I'm able, within a couple of minutes to say, I've, I've got this. I've, you know, either it has merit or let me work on it or something of that nature. So that's one way that my people know that I am going to be listening. So if someone, it's not like they're going to have an issue and the CEO may not find out about it. Right. So they can't, we can't hide from that. Um, The other thing we do is we do a, I do what's called a CEO roadshow. And I go on, I go and see every single associate and I look them in the eye and I visit with them for about an hour. And we do it in groups based on teams. And uh, I have no agenda but to have a conversation with them. And I listen to what they have to say. And again, I'm disruptive because if they tell me, well, Scott, why do we got to do this? I had this instance and this just doesn't make any sense. Sometimes we'll make decisions right there at the table. Guess what? You don't have to do that. We're changing that right now. Or I'll suggest that they send that into our quality committee that's represented by all the angles of the company that again, we can reward great ideas, we can identify rifts between departments, and we can really kind of get to the nitty gritty and solve issues. How did you come up with the idea of doing the CEO Roadshow? What was the genesis of that? Well, the thing is, I grew up in the guts of the bank. Like my first job at the bank when my father started it, I was the janitor. (laughs) So I've done every job here that you can do, and I have respect for all of our frontline people, because it's the hardest job in the bank being a customer service representative in a branch office, for instance. That's the hardest job in the bank. You're on all the time. You don't know who's going to walk through the door. Sometimes people walk through the door with a gun. You know, I mean, you just don't know. And so the way I got to that was the bank was growing so rapidly that I was losing touch with my people. And so a lot of times, you know, companies treat their CEO like a mushroom. You know, they feed them bullshit and keep them in the dark. Right. And that's what mushrooms do. Right. I didn't feel comfortable because I didn't have a good sense for what my people were feeling. And so it takes me a lot of time. Like I have 37 individual meetings by the time I make it around the horn. It takes me three and a half months to do it and takes a lot of time. But you know what? It's one of the best things that I do. It's a great way to make sure that we're the people are understanding what we're all about. They feel connected to me and to the culture of the organization and know that, you know, it's not just a bunch of malarkey. We really mean what we say. Yeah. Do you ever have any of your direct reports or people in the hierarchy from a management point of view that are uncomfortable that you are circumventing the chain of command when you do this? Yeah, they, uh, yeah, but they're no longer here. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I love it, Scott. <laughs> I think my audience, most of them, if not all of them, are smiling right now when they hear these say that. So basically, if that's going to be a problem for you as a manager, you shouldn't probably be working here. That's as simple as that. Yeah, this is not the place for you if you don't want me talking to your people. I reserve that right. I don't run the bank that way. I want to run it by committee. I want to let everybody you know, do their job and make their decisions and all that. I, rarely do I trump people, but I do reserve the right of veto. And I will step in if I need to as a CEO. And, and you know, if it costs me my job, then so be it. But I'm charged by the board of directors to make sure that we're set up to do business and continue on. I just try to run the bank with that type of authority. 
He's Scott McComb. He's the CEO of Heartland Bank. Scott, one of the constants that we have in this podcast is I challenge our guest, in this case yourself, to give our listeners one thing that you would say, if you don't do anything else to have a high performance culture, what would be this one thing that you would ask our listeners to do or, or suggest to them that this is that important, that if you're only going to do one thing, make sure you sh- sure that you do this one thing, what would it be? The one thing I would say is make yourself as vulnerable to your people as you possibly can. He's succinct. I love it. He uh, gets to the point about as quick as anybody. And that's why I love having him as a guest. Scott, if people have questions, they want to reach out to you. What's the best way for them to connect with you? You know, the best way to connect with me is to go to heartland.bank as our website. And uh, my email address is scott.mccomb at heartland.bank. Great. It's a pleasure, Scott. I told you we run out of time before we run out of questions, but in fairness to the audience, we try to make sure we do this under 30 minutes so we get the meat, if we will, out as quickly as possible to them. You've done a great job, but once again, you've exceeded my expectations. Thanks for joining us. Ed, thanks very much. And to all your listeners, uh, you know, I'm a product of the Ed Epley experience. So Ed uh, was one of my uh, instructors, taught me how to sell and how to do sales management back in the day. And I'm forever grateful. So Ed, thanks very much. I'm glad to be here. Call on me anytime. You're a kind man. I appreciate it, Scott. Continued success to you and the uh, Heartland organization. Thanks a bunch, Ed. Make it a great day. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 